the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Sam Moppin is engineering. Today we'll hear a conversation with John Ferguson, author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And we'll talk about Boston's Satan Con that's coming up uh, this year. And the pandemic that left many who say they are now open to God. I hope we'll seize that opportunity to engage in conversations that matter. Well, first, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. Air Force General is predicting the U.S. will be at war with China by 2025, which some are suggesting in the in the uh, Defense Department is an overstatement. But retired General Jack Keane weighed in on the prospect of a U.S. war with China and says our military deterrence is not where it should be. Um, at this point, well, the United States government is monitoring a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon that's been moving over northern states over the past several days. Pentagon spokesperson Brigadier General Pat Ryder said during a briefing on Thursday afternoon that the U.S. government has detected a high altitude surveillance balloon over the continental United States. The U.S. government has detected and is tracking the high-altitude surveillance balloon that's over the continental U.S. right now. The U.S. government is, um, uh, to include NORAD, continues to track and monitor it closely. The balloon is currently traveling at an altitude well above commercial air traffic and doesn't present a military or physical threat to the people on the ground. Instances of this kind of balloon activity have been observed previously over the past several years. Once the balloon was detected, the U.S. government acted immediately to protect against the collection of sensitive information, according to uh, Ryder. Well, a senior defense official said that the U.S. government is confident that the surveillance balloon belongs to the People's Republic of China. Well, it it makes perfect sense that New Hampshire, a state populated by rugged individualists, would adopt as its motto, a toast by its most famous Revolutionary War hero. But given the way one town is treating a popular bakery, the choice presented in New Hampshire's creed may as well be live free or diet. When Sean Young purchased Levitt's Country Bakery last year, he vowed to use the local institution as a hub of civic engagement. The bakery had been a popular meeting place in the town of Conway for four decades and Young's purchase succeeded in keeping the establishment open. He even convinced his son and daughter to work some some of the shifts. Well, last spring, he was approached by a local high school arts department and told that the students needed to place uh, needed a place to hang a mural they were painting as part of a class project. Young happily offered up uh, Levitz as a home for their art. When the mural was unveiled, it showed the sun rising over Mount Washington, except the mountain bluffs were majestic confections, donuts, and other pastries against the sun sun rays. The community was delighted by the quirky, whimsical mural, um, which would now adorn the front of the bakery above the uh, above the door. It is exactly the type of local art project that gives small towns their unique character. But the pointy-nosed bureaucrats in the town uh, code enforcement office wasn't excited. 
A week after the mural went up, the town informed Young that the, uh, the donut painting wasn't art. It was a sign. As such, a code enforcement officer told Young it was a violation of the town's sign ordinance, which limits the size of signs. He was told he had to take it down. Well, this week, Young received notice that if the sign is not removed, he could face criminal charges and a fine of up to $275 a day. Well, Young was confused. I didn't understand how the government could decide what students are allowed to paint on their high school art projects. Well, because the mural depicts products sold at the bakery or at a bakery, any bakery, the town's zoning department told Young the paintings announced the purpose of the business. Had the painting been of, say, giraffes, the mural would have been perfectly legal. Well, Levitz um, could legally have a mural that uh, the exact same size if it didn't show any items that they sell. That's according to an attorney from the Institute for Justice or something approximating justice, which has chosen to defend Young against the town. Well, that makes no sense and violates the First Amendment, they say. It's laughable to suggest that the town government is trying to regulate the Levitt's mural because it poses any sort of safety issue. The zoning board isn't trying to save residents from any um, Armageddon they might face when scarfing down one of his donuts. It appears the town bureaucrats are simply afraid that the high schoolers art might bring more people into the business. It is the uh, ordinance, however, that is the tool of opposition in the case. The rule itself is impossibly vague, regulatory, um, regulating rather any device, fixture, placard, structure or attachment thereto used to communicate information of any kind to the public, whether commercial or non-commercial. Well, the idea that near uh, anything can well, count uh, as a sign is backed up by the injunction that Young filed against the, uh, um, uh, the business owner this week in which his lawyer provided this sample. In 2006, the, time, the town rather enforced a sign code against a local ice cream parlor called Lickety Splits. Lickety Splits had installed ice cream cone-shaped trash cans outside of its store. The town forced Lickety Splits to remove the trash cans because... Zoning board members determined that because Lickety Splits sold ice cream and the trash cans were shaped like ice cream cones, the primary purpose of the trash cans was to sell ice cream. Wow, I guess that's a benefit of living in a small town where that sort of nonsense occupies the uh, commissioner's time. We'll follow the story if the lawsuit gets any further and the question is raised about what fits in this small town where live free or die has been the motto for many, many years. When we come back, we're going to talk about some things to know about your 2023 taxes. Yes, we are officially in the season. And of course, April 15th may sound like it's far away, but it'll be here before you know it. Some of the changes to look out for up next here on the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, 2022 has drawn to a close. Tax filing season is, well, it's here. It's not around the corner. It's actually here. It's never too early to start planning ahead for the uh, changes coming to tax policies this year and how those will impact your finances. And while the changes won't affect the 2022 taxes due on April the 18th, several are important for taxpayers to be aware of as you budget for 2023 and plan retirement contributions. 
Well, here's a few things. Here are a few things to consider. The Internal Revenue Service adjusted the thresholds that apply to the various federal income tax brackets every year to account for inflation. And with inflation near a four decade high, the changes will be more noticeable in 2023. Uh, It's noted that there's a possibility that taxpayers could change tax brackets next year because of this, meaning they could also pay a different tax rate on some of their income. The income tax rates are progressive, so the more a taxpayer earns, the more their earnings are subject to higher taxes or tax rates. The income thresholds of each bracket are 10% for single taxpayers with incomes of 11000 or less, 12% for income over 11000 22% for income over 44725 and 24% for incomes over 95000 32% for incomes over 182000 thousand one hundred and thirty five percent for two hundred and thirty plus income thirty seven percent for five hundred and seventy eight income for married couples filing joint returns the dollar amounts can be doubled for each bracket ouch well the irs also adjusts the amount of the standard deduction year based on inflation the vast majority of taxpayers choose to claim the standard deduction instead of itemizing or separately listing expenses like mortgage interest, taxes, and charitable contributions. The portion of the taxes, uh, taxpayers rather, who claim the standard deductions has increased to roughly 90% in the year since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 doubled it. In 2023, the standard deduction for individual taxpayers will rise by $900 to $13,000. Increase by 1,800 for married taxpayers filing joint returns and uh, to 27,700 and climb to 20,800 for heads of households up to 1,400 from 2022. Taxpayers who are at least 65 years old or blind can claim additional amounts depending on their filing status. The IRS is raising the contribution limits for retirement accounts, including employer-sponsored plans like 401ks and individual retirement accounts, or IRAs, in 2023 to account for inflation. The cap for employees who participate in 401k, 403b, most 457 plans, and the federal government's thrift savings plan will rise by $2,000 to a maximum of $22,500. The catch-up contribution limit for employees age 50 and up who participate in such uh, plans will also rise by $7,500. Earned income tax credit remains available for low to moderate income workers and families to reduce their tax burden and potentially increase their tax fund. For eligible taxpayers with no children, uh, it will uh, provide a maximum credit of $600 in the year 2023. Uh, it's larger for filers with qualifying children reaching 3900 and for one-child households, um, 6600 for two children, 7400 for three or more, and up to 69000 for um, in the year 2022. The IRS has an app to let you see whether you qualify for the earned income tax credit and how much credit you are entitled to. Well, one final tax policy aimed at helping low to moderate income taxpayers is the Retirement Savings Contribution Credit, better known as the Savers Credit. It gives taxpayers who contributed to retirement accounts a tax break worth as much as 50 percent of their contribution. The credit amount is larger for lower income taxpayers and gradually uh, goes up. In 2023, the Savers Credit phases out entirely at $36,500 for single filers, an increase of $2,500 and at 73000 for married couples filing jointly. i got to get my papers together. 
every year, once my taxes are done and you get that nice little folder that has everything neatly attached and you see what your liability is, I I declare that next year I'm going to keep everything in one place. And I sort of kind of sort of do, but not exactly. So this year I'll be scrambling around trying to find little snatches of paper that say this or that. I hope you did better. Well, the FBI is expected to search former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home for classified material in the coming days. That's according to people familiar with the matter, as senior government officials come under increased law enforcement scrutiny of their handling of such documents. Well, the Justice Department is in talks with the former vice president's legal team about scheduling the search. He's not resisting. Last month, following similar revelations from President Biden's legal team, the, the former vice president's lawyers disclosed they had discovered several documents with classified markings at his home and turned them over to authorities the next day. They said the documents had been inadvertently packed up and transported and that Mr. Pence was unaware of their existence. Both disclosures came as the Justice Department has been investigating former President Donald Trump over the handling or mishandling of classified material after he left the White House at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Well, in an example of troubling ties, Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a handful of federal politicians, including two Democrats and one Republican, have shelled out thousands in campaign payments to a Chinese foreign agent. Hmm. A review of campaign finance records has found representatives Kevin Mullen, a Democrat from California, Grace Meng, a Democrat from New York, and Nicole Malotasi or something like that. Republican from New York joined Ocasio-Cortez in pushing campaign cash to Tsingtao, U.S., a subsidiary of the Hong Kong-based Tsingtao News Corporation Limited, for advertising expenses during the midterm election cycle. Those campaigns, in other words, had sent their money to a Chinese-owned entity that the Department of Justice forced to register as a Chinese foreign agent in August of 21, as tensions rose between Washington and Beijing. Not clear at this point what the consequence might be for these lawmakers. Out of control, a teacher was hospitalized after being savagely beaten by a student. Sadly, it was caught on tape, and it's not pleasant to watch. Pray for the teachers in your school and for teachers in general. In a show of strength, the U.S. is ramping up its military presence in Asia as tensions with China rise. A trigger warning, a clinical psychologist and professor who teaches a mandatory diversity class at George Washington University, note mandatory, allegedly created a hostile environment that promoted violence against civilians, according to a complaint filed with the U.S. Department of Education Office of Civil Rights. Dr. Laura Shihai, she sits on the board of the USA Palestine Mental Health Network and practices clinically from a trans-inclusive feminist and liberation theory model. Okay. She works on race and white supremacy and decolonial struggles. Well, in one instance raised in the civil rights complaint, Dr. Laura Shihai Uh, While teaching a course about diversity awareness and to sensitize future therapists to biases, allegedly verbally attacked a student as they spoke about terrorist attacks in Israel, which have killed civilians, including American citizens. The student didn't mention who was the perpetrator of the violence. Nonetheless, Dr. Shihai also brought in a speaker who advocated violence against Israelis and, by extension, Jews, the complaint said. Cannot be trusted. Representative Matt Gates is calling on his colleagues to support a bill that would abolish the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, or ATF, a law enforcement agency that operates under the Department of Justice after its latest guidance that restricts the ownership of gun com- uh, components. 
During a speech on the floor of the House chamber on Wednesday, Gates, a Republican from Florida, said the Bureau cannot be trusted and that it was ultimately seeking to strip Americans of their Second Amendment right to privately own firearms. COVID wind down. 205 Democrats voted against a bill forcing federal workers to return to the office. And Representative George Santos, another fallout from his um, ongoing investigation, has reportedly been investigated by the FBI over an alleged dog charity scam. Ancient blood libel. CNN is being accused of publishing an anti-Semitic cartoon. Left-wing indoctrination. A Missouri attorney general is demanding schools ban drag shows with a new resolution and a neutral zone. A Catholic school student, or students rather, were kicked out of a Smithsonian Museum in D.C. over their pro-life beanies. The FBI searched President Biden's beach home in Rehoboth, um, Delaware. The FBI agents on Wednesday morning searched the Delaware beach home of the president for more than three hours, but found no documents marked classified, his personal lawyer said. Agents took for further review some materials and handwritten notes that appeared to relate to his time as vice president. The lawyer went on to say Wednesday search marks the third publicly known time the FBI has searched a property associated with the with the president as part of the documents probe. President Biden plans to end Title 42 on May the 11th, despite the pending decision on the part of the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll tell you more about that when we return. But first, we need to take a quick break. Also, a reminder coming up in the second hour, John Ferguson, author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the program, a conversation with John Ferguson, author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Speaking of changing the world, I'd like you to just take a moment and imagine. Imagine the gift you could buy your Valentine if you won $2,000. Well, it could happen if you enter the KPDQ Valentine's Contest. We're giving away $2,000 to spend any way you want to make your Valentine's Day special. You can enter now at kpdq.com. But wait, there's more. Have you heard about the Healthy You, Healthy Family yeah, that's another thing we're doing. We want to help you get healthier in the new year with our Healthy You, Healthy Family contest where you could win a grand prize valued at $5,000, just money everywhere. Anyway, a one-year gym fitness club membership for you and your family, up to four members total. $2,000 worth of fitness equipment of your choice. $500 Whole Food gift card, maybe get one or two items with that. A $500 gift card for fitness exercise clothing, a whole wardrobe and a package from Kim Dolan Leto that includes a signed copy of her latest book, Fit God's Way. Well, you can enter once each day between now and the 19th of February and um, complete optional bonus activities to earn additional entries. So plan to get healthier this year with our Healthy You, Healthy Family contest. Again, all the important details at kpdq.com. President Biden plans to end Title 42 on May the 11th. A White House official said, uh, told NBC News that if the courts allow it, the Biden administration plans to roll back the COVID ban known as Title 42 on May 11th. That means the end of the policy could come before the Supreme Court has ruled on a suit by Republican-led states seeking to keep it in place. 
Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, said Republicans wanted to end Title 42 at the border. Not true. And Biden has actually been the one who wanted to make sure there was an orderly process to manage the situation in a way that was, again, orderly. It's amazing to me what you get away with saying that's patently false. Anyway, uh, Senator James Lankford is introducing the Public Health and Border Security Act, which would require that all COVID-19 national states of emergency be fully lifted before the Biden administration ends the Title 42 public health order, suggesting you can't have it both ways. Well, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy began negotiating the debt ceiling increase. It was really rather interesting, both Uh, Figures, the president and the speaker came out of the meeting suggesting we need to respect one another and regard one another. It was rather obvious. Of course, that's how a statesman would approach things. But to hear each of them make the suggestion uh, was, well, refreshing, short lived, I'm guessing, but refreshing. How Speaker McCarthy emerged from his meeting with the president, confident there is common ground between them regarding raising the debt ceiling. McCarthy described his first sit down with the president as um, good, saying the uh, the pair agreed to continue the conversation. Well, that's a start. The speaker added there is an opportunity here to come to an agreement on both sides long before the deadline. McCarthy declined to provide details concerning potential cuts and sidestepped a question about the possibility of a default, but underscored that the two spoke about a lot of different ideas during their 90-minute discussion. The White House was uh, repeat, has repeatedly said that it would not negotiate with Republicans, that the stakes for the U.S. economy were too high and that the limit had been raised 74 times before, which, of course, is part of the problem. 74 times before, including with Republican support under then-President Donald Trump. But on Tuesday, the president suggested he was open to talking. That's eh, progress there. Asked if he would negotiate with the speaker during the, uh, the meeting, the president said at the time, simply, show me the budget. Of course, he doesn't have one either, but apparently it was a constructive um, conversation, and that's about as much as we can hope for these days. What is it that the scripture says we should pray for those who are in authority, that we can live peaceable lives? Might want to revisit that. Republicans to federal workers show up. I'm here in the office. I'm looking across the glass of the engineer for all of the stations here. He's here. Um, Show up for work with a Republican led House of Representatives is voting on a bill that would bring more federal employees back to offices in Washington, D.C. that are standing vacant. The Stopping Home Office Works Unproductive Problems Act, the names they come up with, the Stopping Home Office Works Unproductive Problems Act, or Show Up Act of 2023. Clearly, they come up with the, uh, the, the name, Show Up, and then they have to figure out how to make that work. Anyway, it requires each executive agency to reinstate the telework policies that were in place on December the 31st, 2019. Remember 2019? Everyone was so happy, and then March hit. Well, the Show Up Act comes a day after House uh, Republicans passed a bill to end the COVID-19 public health emergency, which uh, the president Tuesday declared he was extending um, until May 11th to get everything done, explaining after the announcement that the Supreme Court is preparing for February arguments on his attempt to put $400 billion towards student loan forgiveness by referencing the emergency. So he has to keep the emergency in place to pick your pocket and give students a break. Um, anyway, I won't go into that at this point. Uh, anyway, he's suggesting that the loan forgiveness is tethered to the COVID emergency. So he needs to keep it in place until the Supreme Court rules. Well, the Fed raised the interest rate by 0.25%. 
They still have more increases to make, however, we're told. The U.S. Federal Reserve increased its benchmark interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point on Wednesday, but warned ongoing increases would be needed to bring inflation under control. However, in a statement, the Fed maintained that Ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to ensure it is restraining activity enough to bring price pressures under control. That indicated the central bank is inclined to raise borrowing costs further at its next meeting. Fed officials have said slower tightening will give them more time to assess the effect of last year's cumulative increase of 4.25 points in the benchmark federal funds rate, as well as greater flexibility to adjust course if necessary. Well, articles of impeachment have been brought against the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Representative Andy Briggs, who is a Republican from Arizona, introduced a new impeachment article against the Homeland Security Secretary, accusing him of violating his oath of office and failing to enforce U.S. immigration law. and also accuses him of having failed to implement the 2006 Secure Fence Act, that requires the department to take actions to achieve and maintain operational control over the border. Now, when House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, was minority leader in November, he called on Mayorkas to resign, saying that he had failed to secure the southern border. During a trip to El Paso uh, with other GOP lawmakers, McCarthy warned that House Republicans would launch an investigation if Mayorkas refused to resign and that they would consider impeachment proceedings. And right now, uh, that is precisely what um, what they are suggesting. Well, the Biden administration plans to send long range artillery rounds to Ukraine. Bloomberg reports that the administration will supply Ukraine with long range artillery and ammunition as part of a new two billion dollar package of military assistance. The package is being finalized as Ukraine prepares for a potential new Russian offensive and tries to not only hold on to recapture territory, but to seize fresh advantage on the battlefield. The new aid will consist largely of artillery and rounds and not include advanced weapons like long-range missiles. The U.S. has pledged to provide Ukraine with more than $27 billion in military aid thus far. FedEx is undergoing massive layoffs of directors and officers. They're laying off more than 10% of its directors and officers as it continues to cut costs, the company told staff on Wednesday. The company has more than half a million employees, but the exact number of layoffs wasn't specified. A former FedEx executive estimated that thousands are losing their jobs. A FedEx spokesperson told insiders the company has reduced its U.S. workforce by more than 12,000 through attrition and headcount management initiatives since the start of the fiscal year in June of last year. Wall Street Journal says the cuts come a day after United Parcel Service said it was facing a slowdown in global delivery volumes and forecasts that its sales for the for the year could decline for the first time since 2009. I have two puzzled engineers on the other side of the glass. One minute. I'm (laughs) being told one minute. Well, Nikki Haley is expected to announce a presidential run on the 15th. Uh, The former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and South Carolina governor is expected to officially announce her 2024 presidential run on the 15th of February in Charleston. She would become the first Republican candidate to join former President Donald Trump in the Republican presidential primary. Nikki Haley will run for president. Uh, Haley reportedly called President Trump ahead of her decision and told him she would like to consider it. The president uh, responded with, Go by your heart if you want to run. I think you should do it. End quote. Well, there you have it. Tom Brady announced his retirement from the NFL. 
I know it's not a joke. No, for good. This is the this is it. Anyway, Tom Brady says he's retiring for good from football, ending a storied 23 year NFL career during which the star quarterback won seven Super Bowls and set numerous records. Uh, Brady announced his decision Wednesday on social media, saying that he wouldn't change a thing about his career. Uh, Truly grateful on this day. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, We're going to take a break, but we will return. And in the meantime, just ponder the thought that in the second hour, John Ferguson will be my guest. Bless. Everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, the new movie Jesus Revolution hits a theater near you starting on the 24th of this month, and you can enter to win a trip for two to Hollywood to attend the red carpet premiere. Plus all kinds of movie-related prizes, um, like free movie tickets and more. Get all the important information at kpdq.com. We just got all kinds of stuff available. By the way, you have until the uh, 10th to enter to win. Red carpet event. Wow. Well, Governor DeSantis and students have won. The AP African American Studies course has been amended And yet another win for Floridians and their uh, governor. The state's college board has changed the framework of its AP African-American studies course in order to ensure the promulgation of legitimate historical facts and education over and against political indoctrination. Last month, the Florida State Board of Education rejected the AP course because it was contrary to Florida law and significantly lacked educational value. DeSantis defended the board's decision as he highlighted the fact that the course pushed the leftist ideology of critical race theory, observing that the course contained a section on black queer theory. DeSantis uh, critiqued, who would say that uh, an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids, end quote. He also pointed out when you look to see they uh, have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that is a political agenda. The left media's uh, coverage of the issue has been anything but objective, honest, or accurate. One example comes from Axios, which made the ridiculous statement regarding the objection to the curriculum. Critical race theory, a topic that is often conflated with teaching on systematic racism. Correction, there is no conflation here. The only reason the term systematic racism exists is because critical race theory adherents asserted it. Indeed, it, it, uh, if it wasn't for CRT, there would be no talk of that particular uh, thing. DeSantis sees some. Um, uh, this kind of spin and having great success in countering the promulgation uh, as education in Florida schools won this particular victory. Well, Dems are eyeing racist Jim Crow Georgia for the 2024 DNC. And of course, I'm using the phrase because that's how they've termed it before the election. Remember when Georgia was declared by Democrats across the country to be such a racist and deplorable place that Major League Baseball moved its all-star game out of Atlanta in 2021? Well, it wasn't that long ago that Joe Biden railed against the Peach State over its new election integrity laws, asserting that the legislation makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Now, clearly, he has no recollection of Jim Crow as it actually existed. And that kind of a statement, I think, just highlights his ignorance of what it was really like in the Jim Crow South. But that said, uh, repeatedly, Georgia was derided um, for its election integrity laws as Jim Crow 2.0. Now, following the 2022 midterm elections that showed record high voter turnout and witnessed the reelection of leftist Senator Raphael Warnock, Democrats are suddenly singing a different tune. Georgia is suddenly a shining beacon 
lighting the way forward for future Democrat Party success in the Deep South. Not only is Biden pushing to have Georgia's presidential primary date moved up, but Atlanta is now the leading choice of the three remaining cities in the running for housing the Democrat National Convention. Obviously, the Democrats never really believed the Jim Crow uh, idea that in, uh, incessantly uh, labeled um, shocking, but that seems to be what happened. And by the way, they took a survey of uh, minority voters there and the overwhelming majority said with few dissenters that they had no difficulty in voting under the new standard. The global warming threat dwarfs nukes, so says the president. And yet another example of his rhetorical hyperventilating. On Tuesday, the president dropped another doozy speaking at a climate change fundraiser. He went full Al Gore by stating if we don't stay under 1.5 degrees Celsius, We're going to have a real problem. It's the single most existential threat to humanity we've ever faced, including nuclear weapons. Hmm. And so we have a real big problem, end quote. So the threat of nuclear war, which has been increasing thanks to Russian President Vladimir Putin's growing frustration over his struggling invasion of Ukraine, pales in comparison to climate change. Well, the climate is slowly changing and will continue to do so, as it always has done in the past. No government has the power to stop it, but seeking to prevent nuclear Armageddon is one of the jobs of a president. Explicitly defending the country is stated as his job description. Finally, what does the president think a bunch of nukes uh, going off will do to the climate? It's a rhetorical question. Hunter Biden admits the infamous laptop belongs to him. Well, sort of. The University of Delaware is being seen as the next target in the Biden classified documents probe. And an audit found agencies and Congress didn't even try to stop fraud in the four trillion dollar coronavirus bailout. A group of illegal migrants who entered into the United States through the southern border are refusing to leave their free New York City hotel rooms for a migrant shelter in Brooklyn, New York, sleeping in the streets in protest. The NYPD sees the largest staff exodus in decades with leaders refusing to acknowledge the mounting crisis. The Biden administration floated a new strategy to address the climate crisis. Don't leave your house. In the battle of the activists, one side declares dead whales on the East Coast are likely due to wind turbine farms. And a judge blocked a New Jersey law allowing the state to sue the gun industry. Medical groups, um, a medical group is poking holes in a fatally flawed study claiming to prove kids benefit from transgender hormones. Well, on this day in history, 1876, the National League of Professional Baseball, uh, baseball clubs was formed in New York. 1887, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, held its first Groundhog Day festival. In 1913, New York City rebuilt Grand Central Terminal, officially opened Uh, to the public at one minute past midnight. In 1922, on this day, James Joyce's novel Ulysses is published in Paris on Joyce's 40th birthday. In 1925, the legendary Alaska Serum Run ended as the last of a series of dog mushers brought brought a life-saving treatment to Nome, the scene of a um, diphtheria epidemic six days after the drug, uh, the, the, not the drug, but six days after the, uh, um, dogs hit Nanana or something like that. In 1943, the remainder of Nazi forces from the Battle of Stalingrad surrendered in a major victory for the Soviets in World War II. On this day, 1980, NBC News reported the FBI had conducted a sting operation targeting members of Congress using phony Arab businessmen in what became known as 
Abscam, a code name protested by the Arab community. 1988, President Ronald Reagan pressed his case for additional aid to the Nicaraguan Contras a day ahead of a vote by the U.S. House of Representatives. The three major broadcast TV networks declined to carry the speech, which was covered by CNN. A divided House voted to reject the president's request for $36.2 million in new aid. And on this day in history, 1990. In a, pan, in a dramatic uh, concession to South Africa's black majority, President F.W. de Klerk, he lifted a ban on the African National Congress and promised to free Nelson Mandela. And finally, on this day in history, 2002, inside the World Economic Forum in New York, foreign economic leaders criticized the United States for protectionist policies, while outside, thousands of protesters demonstrated against global capitalism. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up in our second hour, a conversation with John Ferguson, author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. We'll also take a look at Boston's Satan Con that's coming up um, shortly and the pandemic that, according to a new survey, left many open to God. All of that when we return. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. So glad to have you with us. Well, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's that people and relationships are important. I think all of us have come to that conclusion. Well, during the months of isolation, thousands of Americans were left feeling anxious and depressed and lonely, showing us that God created us to be in community with each other. Well, to make matters worse, the 2020 U.S. presidential election left us more divided than ever before. But in this broken world, we need to intentionally, those of us who are followers of Christ, invest in each other and serve our neighbor as Christ did. Well, 2021 must be the year to love each other well. Well, my next guest and his co-author, who happens to be his brother, uh, John Ferguson, um, has written a book, that will help us in that regard. Well, Dave and John Ferguson, uh, brothers, church thought leaders and authors, want friendship to be easy. As pastors of Community Christian Church in the Chicago area, they've seen the opportunity for their congregation to invest in others around them as they become more isolated in society. Well, the book is simply titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Well, John and Dave provide a step-by-step guide that encourages Christians to love others, to share the good news of the gospel, and change the world. And it all starts with one easy saying, and that is, bless. Well, my guest is uh, John Ferguson. He is co-founding pastor of Community Christian Church in Chicago. He serves as one of its uh, lead teaching pastors and provides leadership in new ventures. He has also helped uh, co-launch New Thing and serves on the board of directors for Exponential Conference. He joins us to talk about the book he co-authored with his brother, Dave Ferguson. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. This is such a timely book, given where we have been and where we're headed as we move away ever so slowly from uh, this pandemic that has forced us to isolate ourselves from one another. It's interesting to me as I walk through a grocery store, for example, that rather than look one another in the eye and smile, <laughs> uh, we tend to kind of move away from each other. We've been trained to to be repelled by the presence of others. This book is so timely because it helps us to consider what we're called to do as Christians. And you draw our attention in the introduction to Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, in which we're told that loving our neighbor as ourselves uh, eight times throughout Scripture and by Jesus himself 
um, is such a significant part of what it means to reflect the character of Christ out into the culture. Uh, thanks so much, Georgine. I think you're you're absolutely right, uh, particularly in these times when you know we are more divided. We tend to be more separated. People are suspicious of one another for a variety of reasons. Uh, we need to follow exactly what you said. What. Jesus said, that's love God and love others. It's the greatest commandment. He gave us two when we asked for one, but it's still all about loving God and loving others. And our hope is that this book really is almost a, a remedial course on what it means to be a good friend. Uh, yeah. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, right? Wouldn't that be great if we were known as simply good friends? And then over the course of time, that can give us the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and help them find their way back to God and Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of us, we assume that, well, Jesus had an easier time of it, or maybe the sinners in his day weren't as challenging as they are in our day. <laughs> some, somehow we excuse ourselves um, because we don't know quite how to approach what our heart really longs for, and that is to develop relationships with people who don't yet know Christ, to share the best news we've ever heard and have benefited by, but we just don't know where to start. Bless really provides us with a blueprint and how to begin that and to reflect what Jesus reflected in his ministry on earth. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're speaking my language for sure. It's interesting, um, in, in working on the book, Georgine, George Barna, we discovered, led a really interesting study, and George Barna probably knows more about church life in America than just about anybody else, where he did a study and asked friends and neighbors what they value mm. in a person with whom they would talk about spiritual matters to. So they basically talked to all of our friends out there that we would like to reach with the gospel. They wanted to find, they said this, they said they would like to see three qualities in someone that they would talk about spiritual matters to. Number one, they want someone who will listen without judgment. They want someone who will allow them to draw their own conclusions. And then they want someone who can speak confidently about their own story. That's all they want. You know, we think somehow it's our job to convince or coerce or cajole. It's our job to be friends, love people the way Jesus loved people. And then let's let God's spirit do the work of convicting and converting. Well, and I appreciate you make it very clear the role that you and I are called to play and the role that God through his Holy Spirit is called to play. We sometimes take on more responsibility than is given to us, and that makes a, a frightening prospect out of just engaging in uh, friendship and community with people who don't yet know Christ. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I, and Georgina, I don't know what your experience was growing up, but, you know, I and I think a lot of Christians probably feel this way, like this undue sort of kind of kind of pressure to do it a certain way. And mm -hmm. to, and, it, and it's all about a verbal witness. Now, I'm not saying that proclamation or verbal witness isn't important, but I think sometimes we get kind of the, the cart ahead of the horse, if you will. And if we will lay the groundwork, and I think these blessed practices do that, I think we'll find that we'll have an opportunity for a verbal witness and even a more powerful verbal witness than if we begin with the verbal witness. Yeah, and that is so much of the example that we see Jesus set for us. And let's talk about the five blessed practices because it's blessed period L period E period S. What are the blessed practices uh, that are everyday ways that you and I can share the love of Christ with our neighbor? And as you point out, change the world. Sure, Georgina, I can do that. I'll, I'll give you the five real quick. And then if you want, we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper on one or two of them later yeah. on. But it begins with the letter B in bless, and it's begin with prayer. Now, I know that's a little bit of a stretch from an acronym standpoint, but it's begin with prayer. It gets better. Trust me. And keep <laughs> in mind, these are all things that Jesus did. So we didn't just make this up. OK, Jesus blessed people and he began with prayer. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Uh, the second one, then the L is for listen. And what we found is, and I think we all sort of intuitively know this, that you know, listening is one of the 
most profound and meaningful gifts we can give someone to intentionally listen to them, their dreams, their hopes, their fears. So begin with prayer, listen. And then the third one is my favorite. It's eat. We share meals. You look at the life of Christ. He shared meals with people all the time. It was a great way for him to, to connect with others and, and let them know that he loved them. So we begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. The first S in blessed then is serve. I mean, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Right, to serve. Right, yeah. So it's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. And then the final S in blessed then is story. And we're convinced that if we will take the time to, to pray for the people that we feel like God has put in our path, that we want to bless, that we want to share the gospel with, we will listen to them, we'll share meals with them, get to really know them, we'll then know how we can best serve them. And then finally, at some point, we'll probably have an opportunity to share our story and hear their story and then let the Holy Spirit do its work. And hopefully they'll come to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. So what you're describing is a relationship that is built over time, not 15 minutes in which you have to spew out everything you know about the gospel and hope that they will fall to their knees and, <laughs> and repent. Wow, Georgina, if I didn't if I didn't know, but I, I, I you sound like you have experience in some of those other methods. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do. And, and they didn't work that well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, your, as I mentioned earlier, your timing is impeccable. Given the fact that the uh, pandemic and the isolation that we've experienced, I think, has given us a longing to be together again. And what a tremendous opportunity we have to reintroduce ourselves, perhaps, to our neighbors uh, and to begin a relationship with people that we may have been in contact with for a long period of time. But we now have a good excuse to to build a relationship on these principles that will lead ultimately to sharing what's most important and, and deeply valued with the people that we learn to care about. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on. Yep. I, and again, what's interesting is, and we can talk about this too, but what we found is some of these principles you could actually do during the pandemic, even though there mm-hmm. was social and mask wearing, but certainly coming out of it, I think where you're right, um, more than anything, I think we're finding is that people are longing for connection, you know, content. We've always been able to get content, right? I mean, that's available anywhere on the internet, all sorts of places, but connection, okay, Zoom and Skype are great. However, true connection, uh, true friendships, the kind that bless one another are, are invaluable. And I think we do have an opportunity in this space and time coming out of a pandemic, like maybe we haven't in, in years or decades uh, to really, you know, kind of, kind of put our best foot forward and show the, the world what Jesus sort of looks like with, with skin on, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And I mentioned to our listeners before our conversation that you have an appendix, blessed during a pandemic. So there's some great um, ways that we can connect with people while we're on our way out of the pandemic. But we don't have to wait until things are completely clear. Now, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to continue my conversation with a co-author of uh, this important book, John Ferguson, along with his uh, brother, Dave, Bless Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson, who has written a very timely book simply titled Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I thought it was rather interesting that the first chapter uh, in the book is Why Does Sharing the Good News Feel So Bad? And you touched on this just a little bit with uh, some of the surveys that have been done to let us know what the, the world outside of the church is thinking and is looking for from us. But let's address that. Why does sharing the good news feel so bad? Is it because our approach is flawed? 
Oh, it's a great question, Georgine. I, I think with the best of intentions at times, we'd have to admit that our approach um, was, is, or has been uh, somewhat flawed. And, and I think, again, it goes back to this idea that many of us grew up with and, and continue to um, is continuing to be perpetuated in some circles, I think, that you know it is up to us to coerce or convince or cajole people, and we kind of take the Holy Spirit out of it. And when in reality, I think what, what we need to do is learn to really, what does it look like to bless people, to love people, and then look for the opportunity then to, to share a gospel witness with them. And, you know, when I was first trained in evangelism, you know, it was these two diagnostic questions. We'd knock on doors and we'd, we'd mm. you know, pummel people with these questions immediately. And I'm not saying at all that there wasn't some good done with that. There was some really good that came out of it, but I also think there was probably some harm. And I think it also left a lot of your average everyday Christ followers who really do want to help their neighbors and their loved ones get to know Jesus, understand the gospel. I think it kind of left them feeling like I'm never doing that. I can't possibly do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Whereas we can just kind of back up and say, okay, well, what did, what did Jesus do? He went about blessing the people in places that he came across every single day. And then if we give them some simple tools that really do reflect what Jesus did, I think we want people to walk away from this book saying, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I can help someone find their way back to God. I appreciate that the first um, blessed practice is to begin with prayer. I think that's so often left out. I'm pretty much on my own. I'm going to try to fashion this relationship in a way that works for me. We don't take the time to begin with prayer. And that's such an important element in blessing others as we're attempting to love them as we have been loved by Christ. Yes. And, and I think you're right, Georgine, in that oftentimes we, you know, we say pray first, but really it's almost like, well, that's like your last resort. Our focus here is, yeah, begin with prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, uh, in Luke chapter six, verse 12, it says he went out on a mountain and he prayed over and over again. We find Jesus retreating to pray. And so I like to tell people, if you're not sure who God is calling you to bless, like Jesus, begin with prayer. Uh, one, one way that I try to practice this is uh, in my journaling. And I try to you know spend some time daily in prayer and quiet reflection and journaling. At the bottom of my journal, I have the letters B-L-E-S-S on the journal. And then below that, I have a list of names of people that I feel like are in my circle of influence that God is asking me to bless. And so now I'm not going to say do it every day, but most days I'm looking at that list and I'm praying for those people by name, asking God to give me opportunities to bless them. And I think it's important to note that by doing that, you're already blessing them. Like that actually counts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Somebody challenged me one time with this thought. They said, you know, there are people that you come across every single day who have never not once in their lifetime had someone pray for them. And I don't mean, you know, stop them, you know, in the middle of the street, lay your hands on them and pray out loud. I just mean, you know, offer a simple word of prayer, even if they don't know that you're doing it. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad had been praying for me before I was born. And so we have an opportunity to really bless people, um, begin blessing them by simply praying for them. And I say, you know, if you don't know what to pray for, Think of it like the golden rule of prayer, you know, pray for others as you would have them pray for you. Mm-hmm. A great way to start. So, yeah, begin, begin with prayer. It's, it's, it's absolutely foundational. Uh, the second blessing uh, practice is to listen. And that sometimes can be hard for us because we're so anxious to share the good news because it's good news. We're not prepared to listen. And if we don't like what we're hearing, we may want to interrupt and interject or talk a bit about how we can bless others 
by simply listening and honoring them by listening. Yeah, you know, again, I go back to the life of Jesus. If you think about it and, and, and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, asking questions and then listening was central to his life and teaching. He asked way more questions than he answered. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one researcher found that of the 183 different questions Jesus was asked, he answered only a handful. Most of the time, what would he do? Respond with even more questions of his own, <laughs> sometimes even to a point of frustration for some people, I think. But uh, the truth is, listening may be the kindest and most loving gift you can give somebody. Uh, you know, I was even thinking about this, you know, during the pandemic, you know, as long as you kept your distance, you could still talk to people when you're out and about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we underestimate the value of listening and just how desperate people are for a listening ear. I think we've all had those situations when you're talking to somebody and, you know, they are so dialed in. You, they, they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. What a gift that is. Because we've also been in those situations where you're talking to somebody and it's, it is so obvious they're either looking past you or they're already reciting in their mind what they're going to say next before you even get the words out of your mouth. Yeah. And just this whole idea of listening, it's so powerful. And it, it paves a, uh, a great path for us, I think, to, to share the gospel. You know, I appreciate you reminding us that Jesus didn't answer every question. Sometimes we are fearful of being asked something we don't have the answer to because we think we have to carry the conversation. And what you've described is a genuine interest in other people that relieves us of the burden of having to uh, to carry, you know, the whole relationship and the whole conversation. So that is relieving in and of itself uh, and, and valuing other people. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think if we could just... Uh, put ourselves in the, in the in the shoes of the other person, we all love to be listened to. And so why not just offer that gift that you enjoy experiencing to somebody else? Absolutely. Again, the book we're talking about, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Dave and John Ferguson are the authors. The next on the list is Eat. Now, that might be somewhat intimidating to some of our listeners as well. If you're used to hospitality, inviting someone into the home, or um, you know how to manage that, uh, that may seem like, oh, a great thing to do. But for others, that can be a little bit intimidating because we feel like we have to have it all together. Talk a bit about how we love our neighbors well um, and, and how eating together uh, can facilitate that. Absolutely. And again, you know, I, I go back to the life of Christ over and over again. We find Jesus, you know, with tax collectors, sinners doing what he's eating. And I think it's because he knew there's something special about sharing a meal that has a way of moving almost any relationship past acquaintance uh, towards friendship faster than almost anything we can do. I mean, how, how many of us have had that experience where, you're, you have an acquaintance and then either they invite you out to eat or over to your, over to their home, or you connect somewhere over a cup of coffee or dessert. And suddenly someone who you just sort of felt like you sort of knew as an acquaintance. Now it's your, your friends. And I think it's just something that happens over a meal. And it's, it's not surprising when you think about how central meals were Mm -hmm. to the life of Jesus. I mean, the, the, one of the things that he left for us to, to, to repeatedly do over and over again, what, 2,000 plus years later is to share a meal, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the, and the cup, right? To remember his death and resurrection. So sharing a meal is a powerful way to, to bless the people around you. And, and something you touched on, Georgine, if I could real quick. Yeah. It, what I think is important about these blessed practices, particularly this one on eating, is we're really not asking people to add anything to your already busy schedule. I think most of us eat, I don't know what, 
three meals a day, seven days a week, about 21 meals a, a week. Some of us more, <laughs> some of us less. <laughs> Maybe throw in a dessert or two. Uh, what I would challenge people to, and we have tools in each one of the chapters of the book that kind of help you walk through this, is instead of eating those by yourself, just look for maybe two opportunities throughout the course of your week, two of those 21 to include somebody else. And don't, you know, create this elaborate dinner, you know, meal that you have to prepare. Go out to eat or just do something really simple. Share a salad. It, it, it's really just about being together and sharing that meal. Rather than by yourself, you know, do it with somebody else. And it's a great way uh, to bless them. Yeah, it really is. It's so meaningful to be invited into someone's either home or circle to just share a meal. It's it's such an intimate uh, opportunity to get to know one another a bit better. Now, we're just about out of time in this segment. Can you give us a few more minutes if I take this break? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Again, we're talking with uh, John Ferguson. He's the co-author, along with his brother, Dave, both in ministry. The book is titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And I have to tell you, it is so practical. I could do this. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. If you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson. Uh, the title of the book that he and his uh, brother Dave have authored is Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You know, during this period of pandemic, we've had a couple of new neighbors move into our neighborhood. And so much time has passed. I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't done what a, a good already in the neighborhood person should do, and especially a follower of Christ. I haven't gone over and introduced myself. I haven't brought a, you know, a cake or something. I haven't done any. This book has inspired me to say, you know, we're in a season right now where it's very comfortable to begin something that maybe should have begun months ago, but to begin something that could uh, develop into a, a wonderful relationship and friendship and an opportunity to extend the love of Christ and maybe even share the gospel. So this book is is very timely and very practical. We haven't really talked about the structure of it, but you'll find that it's very practical in, in answering the question, is this something I could do? And the answer is, and I can say with confidence having the book, yeah, any one of us can do this and make a real impact in our in our neighborhood and with our neighbors to love them well and to change the world. Um, now, we were talking about the, the um, practices, the uh, blessed practices that allow us to do that. Let's talk about the next one, which is serve. Um, we have tremendous opportunities to bless one another in this season. How do you suggest that we serve our neighbors in an, our effort to love them well? Yeah, well, a good question. You know, I, I think... Uh, the order of these, if I could just back up a little bit, yeah. is important. Too. So you begin with prayer, you listen, you eat, and then you serve. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I think he modeled for us, too, that if you will sort of follow these steps, that you will then discover how you can best serve the person or people that God is asking you to bless. Because, you know, praying, listening, and eating together helps you get to know that person. And it really ensures that the serving is about the person being served and not the person doing the serving. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of reminds me of um, the love languages. Most of us are probably familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's book, where yes. the important thing is to learn um, the other person's love language and love them the way they need to be loved, when our tendency is to love people the way we want to be loved. <laughs> and I think it applies here. It's important to understand uh, you know, how your neighbor, how that person you're wanting to bless um, needs to be served and serve them in that way and not in a way that you necessarily want to. Uh, I, if I could too, you know, you mentioned your neighbor. It's interesting. Um, 
an example where I, I think I might have got it right this one time. We had some new neighbors moving across the street. We live on the north side of Chicago. And my wife had mentioned that she uh, introduced herself to them and found out that the gentleman works for the Red Cross and that he's working super long hours uh, because he was a part of the team that came to Chicago to help increase the number of vaccinations that were available for the um, for the COVID, uh, you know, the pandemic. And uh, it's like the next day I was at the bakery and there's this bakery has this incredible bread that we love to buy. It's uh, uh, what kind of bread? It's sunflower seed bread. Strange, but very, very good. And so I, I go into the bakery and I'm looking at the shelf and I notice there's two loaves of bread and there's just something in me. I'd like to think it was the spirit of God saying, you know, buy both loaves. You're going to give one of those to somebody. I didn't know who I was going to give it to at that moment. But I went in and bought both because I figured, hey, you know, <laughs> if I don't give it to somebody, we've got two loaves of really good bread. And uh, on my way home, though, I was praying about it and kind of asking God, well, you know, who should I? And that neighbor came to mind working at the Red Cross, overtime hours. Why don't I just walk over there and say, you know what? My wife told me you're working a lot of hours. I just want to say thank you for your service, you know, helping out our city via the Red Cross with these vaccinations. I was at the bakery. I thought of you. I want you to have this loaf of bread. Hope you like it as much as I do. Not a big deal. Took me maybe 10 minutes and an extra $5 for the loaf of bread. You know, I don't know where that's going to go, but I think it was a neat way to almost combine the eat and the serve. (laughs) I was serving them by giving them um, something to eat. And and, and that's how it works. Sometimes, you know, it's about the people that are on your list that you're asking God to help you know how to bless them. And sometimes it's just being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit for those moments when you have a chance to bless somebody impromptu. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The last in the um, blessed practices is um, is a story where you have the opportunity to share your story. I think sometimes there's such a sense of urgency. We want to kind of blurt it out <laughs> prematurely um, because it's it's important to us. It's, uh, you know, our walk with Christ and experiencing and knowing his love has been such a tremendous blessing in our life. We want to share that with others. Uh, talk a bit about the 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 fifth in the practice of story, when we share ours, how we go about it, the timing and all of that, and address that sense of urgency that we may have that sabotages our relationship that we're building. Right. I, I think that's a, that's a really great point you make there, that the urgency is good. That's what, that's what kind of drives us or prompts us to want to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. Uh, but I think that sadly, many people have felt like maybe they're being like sold. Uh, it's like a sales pitch rather than um, coming across as a, uh, a real genuine sort of authentic reflection of the life change that you've experienced and what you know they could experience in a relationship with Christ. And so that's why, again, I think it's important for us to begin with prayer. You know, listen, just listen and, and don't talk. Mm-hmm. Christians are so known for talking. We need to be known for listening. Mm-hmm. Eat, share meals, look for ways to serve. And then finally, when people are ready to listen, I think that's when we share the story. I think that's how Jesus did it too. I mean, like when Doubting Thomas came to him asking, okay, Jesus, how can we know the way? And then Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, a relationship with me. And so I think when you befriend and bless people, over time, they will feel relationally safe and want to know your story. Then you can tell them how the love of Jesus you know, his life, death, and resurrection, how that has changed your life. And even then, keep it simple. You know, just share with them. We have this in the book, three steps. Your life before you chose to follow Jesus. You know, what was it like? How you chose to follow him. What were the circumstances around that? And then finally, your life since following Jesus. What difference has it made? And I think in that third part, it's important to be honest 
too. Share, share the good stuff and share the challenging stuff, the ways that, you know, God has really come through for you in, in remarkable, if not miraculous ways, but also share those places where you're still kind of struggling or working yeah. through it and trying to figure life out like most people. I think people really, really appreciate that authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. You don't seem like an opportunist. You never read in scripture where Jesus seemed like an opportunist. I'm going here. Uh, just I'm just waiting for my moment. And I'm going to you know, jump on. He was genuinely concerned and interested in people. He was genuine in his approach. And I think that first practice of beginning with prayer and the last practice, which is sharing your story, are so inexorably linked that if you're doing the first, then you're not going to blow the, the last because your timing is going to be guided uh, not just by your sense of, OK, here's my moment. It's going to be guided by the Holy Spirit who says their heart is open. Um, and this is a moment for you to share just this much of your story. Story. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I had when I moved to the north side of Chicago a number of years ago, I found out that a friend of mine from high school lived like two or three blocks away. And so um, we started getting together, talking a little bit, started praying for him. I felt like I was trying to listen. We shared some meals. I found out the best way to serve him really was to simply listen to him because he was going through some really difficult times relationally, vocationally, etc. cetera. Uh, that's probably been over the course of about seven or eight years. And has he ever really, I mean, I've shared my story with him. So he knows, you know, the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And just recently he actually started going to an alpha small group with me, but he has Excellent. yet to really commit his life to Jesus. That's like seven or eight years. And, and you know what, that's where I'm saying, God, yeah, I want him to, but I think that's, you know, that's kind of where I got to let the Holy spirit take over and I'll do what I can and let God take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Now, where do we begin? I know as I'm sitting here, uh, I'm broadcasting from home today. I'm thinking about specific neighbors. Where do I begin in this effort to bless um, my neighbors and to love them well, as uh, the book suggests? How do I begin, first of all, by identifying who God is calling me to to reach out to? Well, I think it's exactly what you're saying there. I think there's a couple different ways. One would be to go ahead and think about those people that are in your circle of influence. And it you know, in some situations for some people, it's it's about proximity. It's about geography. Mm-hmm. It's those people that live next door to you across the street in your neighborhood. It could be, you know, especially as, you know, workplaces begin to move back to the office or on site, wherever that might be. It could be that person that you're sitting next to, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week that God has put in, in your path that you could begin to think about how to bless. And, and I would encourage you, like I know a lot of people have that are, you know, putting these practices into play is make that list, make that a part of your regular um, journaling time and begin praying for, for those people. And then if you, if you have a circle of other Christ following friends, I think another great way to do this is make that a part of your conversation when you're getting together. If you're part of a, a small group Bible study or discussion group of some kind, when you're together, ask each other, okay, who are you blessing this week? And if you show up and your way of blessing that week was by praying, well, good, that counts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't say I only prayed say no I prayed I prayed for you know two or three different people this week and then I would also say um, like I mentioned earlier make that kind of an ongoing prayer throughout the course of your day God tell me to know who I can bless today and look for those sort of impromptu moments that you might not expect where God gives you a, an unexpected opportunity to bless somebody 
Yeah, and he will certainly honor that. Well, there's so oh. much more that could be said about the uh, about the book. One of the things that you suggest is that when we uh, purpose in our hearts that we are going to to bless our neighbors, and we've identified uh, who those people are, that we um, we are held accountable by others. We let other people know. A couple of friends uh, know that can help keep us accountable, so that we we do move forward and experience uh, the joy of blessing others as we extend uh, love and joy to them uh, through this commitment. Yeah, I, I think doing this in community is a great way to go. I mean, not to reinforce <laughs> the opportunities that we have in the book, but we do have resources available. If anybody wants access to that, like small group guides, mm-hmm. uh, videos that kind of help them train people in this, they can find that at bless-book.org. We'd be happy to help in any way we can. Excellent. Well, again, the title of the book is Bless. Uh, five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I know it's going to certainly influence my practice here in this area. Uh, John Ferguson, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us about it. Oh, completely my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It was really fun. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and uh, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a group of Christians is pushing back against SatanCon 2023. It's an event scheduled. It's going to take place in downtown Boston. It's being touted as the Satanic Temple as the largest Satanic gathering in history. Well, I'm not sure about history, but certainly the history of the country, perhaps. Well, detractors say the temple is using the supernatural to manipulate people, though it bills itself as a um, non-theistic group that doesn't believe in the supernatural. One former occultist, John Ramirez, said that Satanists are messing with real spiritual forces despite what they claim. Well, David Kubel, who is the CEO of Intercessors for America, says we've been tracking these uh, these folks for a couple of years now. Um, he says the uh, his organization of half a million prayer warriors takes a three pronged approach to resisting and exposing the Satanic Temple with news, prayer and action. Well, Satan Con 2023 is scheduled for April in Boston, and it marks the Satanic Temple's 10-year anniversary, according to its website. Well, the theme of the gathering is um, Hexenacht in Boston, translated from the German for Witches' Night, which marks the ancient pagan holiday of May Eve. Well, Kubal noted how the Satanic Temple has chosen the locations for these two Satan Con events so far as a retribution against politicians who would not allow them to offer satanic invocations at city events. Well, the event, which will include discussion panels, entertainment, satanic rituals, a satanic wedding chapel, and a satanic marketplace, was dedicated to Democratic Boston Mayor Michelle Wu after the temple wasn't allowed to deliver an invocation at Boston City Hall. Well, the temple um, told uh, Fox News Digital It supports the right to protest its events, but dismissed the accusation against it and doubled down on its status as a non-spiritual organization. Well, the group dedicated its 2022 conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, to former Republican Mayor Jim Lane and former Republican Counselor uh, Susan Clapp, who also denied a request to invoke Satan at a city council meeting. Well, Kubal said his organization fasted and prayed. This is the Intercessors for America fasted and prayed against Satan Con in Scottsdale last year, claiming that the event fizzled and their numbers were very small for all practical purposes. This year, they're taking the same approach, but are also trying to raise awareness that the Satanic Temple is wading into legal battles about abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision. Well, citing its tenant that one's body 
is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. The Satanic Temple has filed lawsuits on religious freedom grounds in states that limit abortion, claiming that abortion bans violate the right of an involuntary pregnant woman to engage in a Satanic abortion ritual. Hmm. I think for the average American, that just kind of makes their skin crawl to think that somebody would abort a baby for religious ritual purposes. Kubal from Intercessors said, so whether or not people believe in satanic power, the people that are part of this absolutely do. And they attend this conference in an attempt to learn how to manipulate people using the supernatural. They cloak their activities using palatable words, emphasizing science, using words like benevolence or justice. Well, the Salem, a Massachusetts-based satanic temple, which claims to have more than 1.5 million members worldwide, denies belief in a personal devil, saying its mission is to encourage benevolence and empathy among all people, reject tyrannical authority, advocate uh, practices of um, common sense and justice, and be directed by the human conscience to undertake uh, noble pursuits. That's a quote. Well, John Ramirez, who spoke at the Intercessors for America event last year, is a former occultist whose book, Out of the Devil's Cauldron, A Journey from Darkness to Light, detailed his account of leaving Centuria after he was initiated when he was a boy. The mix of Roman Catholic teaching, or I think Santeria, uh, the mix of Roman Catholic teachings and occult spiritism, Santeria emerged in Cuba during the 19th century and was banned in the country for decades. Well, now he's an evangelist, and he maintained that Satanists are messing with real forces despite what they claim and liken people who don't believe in spiritual warfare uh, to someone who doesn't believe in gravity before jumping out of a window. These people are, uh, uh, are a joke, he says, because this is how they trap people. He said of the Satan t- Satanic Temple and those like them, I lived in the Satanic Kingdom for 25 years. I lived in the shadows of the demonic for 25 years. I would talk to Satan all day long, all night long, end quote. Well, he claimed that when he was steeped in the occult, he would project his consciousness into the spiritual realm with the intention of cursing entire regions with the highest level of witchcraft. Following a supernatural experience during which he said he experienced hell, he became a Christian. So these people tell you they're a temple, they're a religion, but they don't serve Satan, which is, um, as he puts it, hogwash, they do. Well, on the front door, they say we uh, call ourselves Satanists, but we don't serve Satan. But then uh, that's like a Christian saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't serve Jesus. How can you be a Christian not serving Jesus? Either you have one master or you have the other. Well, Ramirez claims that Satanists set up temples in various cities so demons and spirits can work in the atmosphere of those regions to really bring destruction to the people. He went on to say the influence of the demonic is becoming increasingly apparent in American culture. We make Sodom and Gomorrah look like kindergarten, he says. Uh, We are darker by the the minute. The society has lost its conscience of right from wrong. We don't even uh, blush anymore. Whatever is right in people's eyes, that's what they do. We support people's First Amendment right to engage in prayer and fasting as means of protest, said the spokesperson from the Satanic Temple. It's uh, hard to respond to accusations of tapping into demonic power in the same way that it's hard to respond to accusations of having cooties without implicitly validating the mindset of a three-year-old, he went on to say. Well, the battle lines have been drawn. The event is scheduled, and whether or not people attend, there will be intercessors praying against it. Well, 80% of those surveyed recently 
believe there's there is a spiritual or supernatural dimension to the world. This was a recent study that showed that many Americans are more open to God and desire spiritual growth in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. A report was released by the faith-based research organization Barna Group earlier this month, or I should say last month, and it found that 44% of adults in the U.S. are more open to God because of and following the pandemic. Among the 2,000 adults the group surveyed between October the 21st and 31st, they said they believed in a higher power, while 74% said that they want to grow spiritually. What an opportunity for those who understand uh, the truth about spiritual things, about a higher power, if you will. Well, pollsters found that all generations, including young Americans, want to grow spiritually, with 77% of Gen X and millennials expressing what Barna Group CEO David Kinnaman described as spiritual hunger. Among Gen Z, 73% expressed such a desire, while 72% of baby boomers said the same. I know many of us are reluctant to share our faith out of fear and the presumption that, well, they're not really interested. The survey suggests we may be wrong on that point. At 80%, a sizable majority said they believe there is a spiritual or supernatural dimension to the world, with half expressing certainty in the existence of the supernatural and 30% saying, I think it exists, but I'm not certain. You might be able to help them with that. Only 11% of respondents expressed uncertain doubts regarding the spiritual realm and a mere 9% flat out denied its existence at all. 83% of both Gen Z and millennials said they believe in a supernatural or spiritual dimension, followed by 82% of Gen X and 79% of baby boomers. Pretty impressive. Baby boomers expressed the highest rate of belief in a higher power at 79%, millennials at 76%. Although the trajectory of uh, Christian commitment in the U.S. has been on the downward scale and is in need of urgent intervention, our new data gave Christian leaders cause for hope, says Kinnaman of the report. A Pew Research Center report published last fall found a surge in adults leaving Christianity to become atheists, agnostic, and uh, or nothing in particular. It predicted that if the number of Christians under 30 abandoning their faith accelerates beyond the current rate, Adherents of the historically dominant religion of the U.S. could become a minority by 2045. Now, those numbers are interesting. They tell us something. They give us a snapshot, a perspective of the spiritual condition of our nation. But it also presents something of an opportunity, and I would hope a a sense of urgency that we have uh, to share our faith, to fulfill the Great Commission abroad, but certainly here at home as well. I hope we'll all take it seriously. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.